0: I love that last line we just sang. Thank you for the cross, my friend. This summer we've been in a study called Identity where we are examining some of God's own descriptions of who we are as new creations in Christ Jesus. And I want to explore a word today that actually surprised me as I began my study to see how often it's used in the New Testament language to talk about Christians. It's the word friend. Jesus said we should be more like children. And maybe one way we should is their ability and willingness to make friends with anybody and if you doubt that statement just look at this picture one of the traits about my oldest Michael when he was little was that Michael would make friends with anybody it didn't matter what color they were It didn't matter whether their clothes were new or old. It didn't even matter if they spoke English. It didn't matter if they had physical or even mental handicaps. He would make friends with anybody. But as we get older, we tend to get more discriminatory in the area of relationships don't we? We even say things like God gave us our relatives, but thank goodness at least we can choose our friends, and we do. We typically choose for friends people that are the most like us, people who talk like us, who look like us, who live where we live and go to the school we go to, people that are easy to like, People that can give something back in their relationship. I don't want a one-way street in my friendships. I want somebody to reciprocate and give back if I'm going to invest. And we never stop to think about how glad we should be that God does not choose friends like we do. Now Jesus was slandered a lot. Almost all of the accusations made against him were not true, but one was. It was the sharpest and maybe most consistent accusation made against him. When his enemies wanted to insult him as bad as they could, they would say to him, Well, you're just a friend of sinners. And he was. For life you see you need to know something about God with with apologies to Bart Garth Brooks you need to know that God has friends in low places and it's hard for us to imagine that the one who is eternal and uncaused would want to be my friend we learned a new song in our Saturday service last night it's a powerful chorus and talks about how he's Awesome in power and in glory and in majesty. It has this line that says, none is greater, brilliant creator. Then it says, friend of mine. And it's almost like those two thoughts can't go together. Why would the ultimate want to be my intimate? Some even say that reduces and diminishes God to speak of him that way. But the fact of the matter is the Bible does. I can show you in your Old Testament where Abraham is called the friend of God. Where it says that God would speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. Where Job prays that he wants his friendship with God to be restored. And you're thinking, yeah, but Abraham and Moses and Job, they are the hall of fame of biblical characters. Where do you get the idea that God wants to be friends with people who live like his enemies? And my answer would be Bethlehem. That Jesus came because God wanted to befriend those that life and even religion often belittle. When Abraham Lincoln became president, few men ever entered the White House with more enemies. He was one of the most criticized presidents to ever accept the office. But the nation was in crisis. Civil War was about to break out. And he needed the best men in the right places. And so we asked some of his sharpest critics to accept cabinet positions in his administration. And his aides couldn't understand it. They said, Mr. President, you're in power now. You can destroy your enemies. And Lincoln said in reply, if I make my enemies my friends, have I not then destroyed my enemies? And that's what Jesus came to do. The Bible says in Romans chapter 5, That God showed His great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. And since we've been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, He will certainly save us from God's judgment. For since we were restored to friendship with God by the death of His Son, while we were still His enemies... We will certainly be delivered from eternal punishment by his life. So now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God. All because of what our Lord Jesus Christ has done for us in making us friends of God. And Jesus used this language all the time. Made his critics furious. Like one time they brought this paralytic man and Jesus looked at him and said, Friends. Your sins are forgiven. He thought friendship with us was something worth dying for. And so you see, they thought they were cursing him. They thought you couldn't give a guy a bigger slur than to call him a friend of sinners. Jesus wore it as a badge of honor. Another president story, when Jefferson was in office, and it's hard to imagine presidents ever not traveling by train or Air Force One, but back then, presidents, like everybody else, rode horses if they wanted to get somewhere. And so Jefferson and his party are trying to get somewhere, and they got across a river, and they've had a storm, and the bridge is washed out, and so they got to get across that river on their horses. And it's too dangerous, the water's going too fast to try to go across without a horse. So there's some guys on the side of the river that can't get across. One of them walks up to Jefferson and asks if he could ride on the back of his horse across the river, and Jefferson said yes. They get to the other side, the guy dismounts, and someone comes up and says, what on earth gave you the gall to ask the President of the United States for a ride across the river? And the guy said, that's the President? I didn't know that. They said, well, why'd you pick him? He said, well, most of you guys had a no face. And he had a yes face. Jesus must have had a yes face, because sinners wanted to be his friend. And that was his mission, to make friends for life. And maybe that's nowhere clearer than his own words in John 15, the night before he died. Look with me, starting in verse nine. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love. Just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. And I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that he laid down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends. For everything that I've learned from my Father, I've made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you. And appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And then the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. This is my command. Love each other. So let me share with you three quick thoughts about what it means as your new identity as friend of Christ. First, that it involves the promise of faithfulness and fruitfulness. These are pledges Jesus has made to you. One is to be a faithful friend. You may have heard the story of the two deer hunters that went out hunting one day. And late in the evening, one guy comes back dragging an eight-point buck. And somebody says, where's Henry? He said, well, he had some kind of a stroke about two miles up the path. And you left him there? It was a tough call, but I didn't think anybody would steal Henry. Now what Jesus is saying is, I got your back. And I will never abandon you. You see, he says, I remain in my Father's love. Well, why is that important? What that means is, I am always filled up with God's love. And so, your joy can be full or complete. In other words, most people have their joy affected by their circumstances. But Jesus says, that doesn't have to happen to you. Because no matter what you're going through, I'm going to love you. The Bible says there's a friend that loves at all times. He's born for adversity, and Jesus says, that's the kind of friend I'm going to be. You never have to wonder if I've got your back. There's a true story that comes out of World War I. These two boys grew up together, lifelong buddies enlisted together, sent to France together. Back then, a lot of warfare was spent in trenches. And one of the young men one day got caught outside the trench in crossfire and was hit And just lay bleeding to death out in the field. His friend saw him and jumped out of the trench to go get him. But his sergeant pulled him back into the trench and said, you're a fool. They'll just shoot you too. There's nothing you can do now. But a few moments later, the sergeant had turned his back. And when he looked out there, there was that guy crawling under the machine gun fire to go get his buddy. He grabbed him. Crawled back to the trench. And all the way back, he too was hit by bullets. They rolled into the trench. The sergeant is furious. The first boy's already dead. He said, Why'd you do that? What was the point? He's dead and you might well die. It wasn't worth it. And that young man said back, Yes, sergeant, it was. His last words were, I knew you'd come. And Jesus says, I will be a friend to the end, all the way until the day that I come to take you home. I pledge faithfulness to you. And then he says, I pledge fruitfulness to you. He says, you didn't choose me. I chose you to be my friend. And I chose you to bear fruit that will last. Now, I went to Adele Turner Tiger Elementary School in South Dallas. And everybody knew the two coolest guys in the whole school were Kenny and Rick. And Rick was my friend, Rick Mosteller. And whenever we picked up teams for anything, Kenny was captain and Rick was captain because they were the two coolest guys. And I never had to worry, even though I was little and slow, that I was going to be the last kid on the blacktop. I knew Rick was going to pick me to be on his team. And you know what? I played well when I played with Rick. I never dropped the ball. I ran hard. Rick said to the whole school, every time he chose me, I want him on the team. We can do it together. He gave me the gift of significance. He told the whole school that I mattered. And I live like it. And that's what Jesus is doing to us. He's saying, let's partner you and me together to do something that when this whole world burns up is still going to last. I chose you to do this. That's the kind of friend you've got. He's pledging His faithfulness and fruitfulness to us. And then second, to be Jesus' friend includes a promise of inside information. You see, one reason some of you don't have real good friends is because you won't open up and share yourself. If you avoid transparency, you're going to have to be content with surface relationships. But Jesus says, Now, I've called you friends because... Everything I've learned from my Father, I've made known to you. No secrets. I've told you what God is up to. See, Jesus doesn't expect mindless obedience. That's the difference between a friend and a slave. You don't have to tell a slave what you're up to. You just tell a slave what to do, and he better go do it. But you tell a friend why. You want Him to do it. And that's what Jesus has done. He's told us the secrets of the kingdom. You ever realize what a privilege it is to know what we know? Now, I suppose um, all of us worry a little bit. But i got to tell you, I don't lose much sleep on how much gas costs. I hope the price goes down just like you do. And I hope the war in Iraq stops tomorrow. And like you, I've wondered who's going to be the next man or woman to sit in the Oval Office. But i got to tell you, I'm not losing any sleep over that because I know who sits on the throne. I know what the world is coming to, or maybe I should say I know who's coming to the world. And I know what's going on because i got inside information. And so I'm not going to lose a lot of sleep sweating the small stuff and most of the stuff in the paper is small stuff. Because Jesus has let us in on what He knows. And we also know that we're not the only ones that know. And that's point three. That being Jesus' friend infers the promise to love all of Jesus' other friends. Because in the text that we read, nine different times Jesus uses the word love. He says, my command is this, that you love one another, and you're my friends if you do what I command. See, I think it's interesting that this is what the earliest Christians started to call each other. And just get you a concordance and look at how many times in the New Testament the word friend is used to talk about fellow Christians. Look, for example, at the 3 John 14 with me. And he says, I hope to see you soon and we'll talk face-to-face, peace to you. The friends here send their greetings. Greet the friends there by name. You see, all the different names that we've come up with to divide Christians, they didn't have back then. Wouldn't it be cool to go back to that kind of thinking? What if you went to a town and all the names and all the signs were down and all you had to do was say, Are there any friends of Jesus in this city? Because they understood back then, if you are a friend of Jesus, then you're a friend of mine. Because Jesus told me. To love all of his other friends. Now we can't love substitutionally. So when Jesus says, I want you to love like I've loved you. He doesn't mean that I can pay for your sins. He does mean I can love sacrificially. I can die a little bit every day to help you become the person You want to be. See, I think there's something deep down inside all of us that wants a friend like that. That wants to be a friend like that. I think that's why we resonate with friend stories. Like the one you may have heard about last April. Look at this picture with me. On one side, you see Sarah, a senior from Western Oregon. On the other side, you see Mallory, a senior from Central Washington. They're softball players, Division II school. Neither school had ever been to the playoffs. Now, Mallory is the all-time home run leader of her school and the conference. But she's never got to play in the playoffs. Sarah, frankly, was not very good. She didn't start most of the time. Her senior year, she only had three hits. But these two schools are in first and second place, and they got a chance for the winner to finally go to the playoffs, and they're having a big game. And Sarah comes to bat with two people on base, and she hits the ball over the fence. She'd never hit a home run. Not in junior high, not in high school, not ever. She's a senior Biggest game of her life, she hits a home run. She is so excited that when she rounds first base, she forgets to touch the bag and realizes, i got to go back and touch first base, so she whips around to go back and touch it, and when she does, twists her knee, her ACL tears, and she collapses in pain on the ground. And that's when Mallory, came up with the most unique idea i've ever heard in baseball watch the rest of the story just fell immediately and was in a lot of pain just you know i tried to keep my leg straight but i was in so much pain that i couldn't really keep still i turned the umpire standing right next to me i said what is the ruling if i put somebody in for sarah he said it'll be a two run single if anybody would have on her team would have helped uh, Sarah, she would have been a called a called out. That was the problem. None of Tukolski's teammates were allowed to touch her. We went to the home plate umpire and asked if we could pick her up and carry her, and he looked at me a little strange. And the umpire went and said, "Yes, you can do that." I'm still standing there in shock. I don't. I said, "Thank you so much." For that reason only, because she deserved it, Holtman and Liz Wallace began to carry the injured Tukolsky, stopping to touch her left foot on each base as the three made their way around the diamond. That's the first home run of the season for number eight, Sarah Tukolsky. Now you need to know that that home run was the difference in the game. Mallory never did get to go to the playoffs. But I think we would all agree that she's a winner. There's something deep inside us that says that is when we are at our best. When we die to ourselves and we die to our agendas and we invest ourselves to help somebody else become who they need to be and get where they need to go. Now, Jesus said, if you choose me, you choose all my friends, and I want you to love them. Now, here's the thing. It's hard to love some of Jesus' friends because he attracts a lot of sinners. Have you ever noticed that about Jesus? I'm kidding, of course. You see, I I have a problem with all these people who say, well, I tell you what, the church is just full of a bunch of hypocrites. Well, duh! Do you go to the hospital and say, I don't like that place. It's full of sick people. (laughs) Of course the church is full of hypocrites and losers and sinners, because Jesus is here and people like to hang with Jesus. He's a friend of sinners. Church is always going to be full of sinners and some of them are hard to love. So how are we going to do it? Well, Jesus says, I'm remaining in my Father's love and you got to remain in me. I'm the vine you're the branch and what's going to happen father's love is going to pour out through me and i'm going to send the spirit and pour it out through you look at romans 5 for we know how dearly god loves us because he's given us the holy spirit to fill our hearts with his love and so he's going to remain in god god's love's going to flow through him it's going to flow into you and every time we get together the spirit of god is going to be there to help you love on jesus friends now did you notice earlier in this service we didn't have our usual hug and howdy that's because we're about to have it but it's not going to be the typical hug and howdy because nobody gets to talk about how hot it's been and nobody gets to talk about how bad the Cowboys played last night I'm about to set you loose for a couple of minutes loving on Jesus friends I want you to do whatever the Spirit prompts you to do. You might want to go pray for somebody. You might want to go hug somebody. You might want to just make a brand new friend you've never met before. I don't care what you do, as long as you love on one of Jesus' friends. And then when you hear us sing, we'll uh, finish the sermon. So don't go. I'm not through. But right now, I want you to practice what I've been preaching. So let's stand up and do it. we are heirs of the father we are joint heirs with the son we are children Now go ahead and remain standing because I'm going to preach for just a little bit longer but you can uh, handle it. <laughs> I, I just want you today to realize what a privilege it is for us to be able to say in complete honesty we are the friends of God. But now, one thing real quick I've just got to add is a very important theme in the New Testament. You just need to know that Defriending God means defriending the world. See, choices have consequences. Sometimes if you choose one person to be your friend, other people are going to choose not to be your friend. That's how life works. And that's why, for example, the Bible says in James 4 and verse 4, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. You can't be a friend of the world and a friend of God. You've got to make a choice. That was the situation Pilate was in. Remember, he's got Jesus on trial. And he knows Jesus is innocent. He knows what the right thing to do is. So why doesn't he let Jesus go? You know what sealed Jesus' fate? The crowd started to shout, If you let him go, you are no friend of Caesar. Pilate had to choose his friend. And he chose poorly. I want you to embrace your identity. You're the friends of God. With all the consequences that brings. One more great Lincoln story. It's a second inaugural. And the great black abolitionist Frederick Douglass approaches the White House to attend. He's stopped by two guards But he's a big man. He goes past them anyway. Two other officers grab him and start to drag him out of the White House. And he shouts, tell the president that Fred Douglas is here. And before they can get him off the property, someone shouts and says, bring him to the East Room. And they bring him in and there the party's going on and everyone suddenly stops and turns. And Lincoln starts to walk across the room and puts out his hand. And says in a voice loud enough for everybody to hear. Here comes my good friend, Fred Douglas. Now I want you to try to wrap your mind around this thought. That someday, the great day, from the great throne, there's going to be this great voice. And it's going to say, Here comes my good friend. And then you hear your name. You really do have to choose your friends. You need to choose Jesus for life. We're going to keep singing. Do you want someone to pray with you today? Would you go to our chapel? Our elders are waiting for you. Would you like to be baptized into Christ today? We'll do it right now. Just come down to the front. Let us know while we praise.